Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery with always. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery as well. And today we have a special guest joining us. Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. Which is fantastic. And Jenny's going to talk to us about coming out. Mm. Not not of the closet. Of the uh, closet? <laughs> no. We're coming out as a person in recovery to the people in her life that don't know she's a person in recovery. You know, some of us get some social acceptability and we i think uh, at least from my standpoint i don't want to put words in jenny's mouth or offend anybody but i i wanted to kind of hide that a little bit to keep that social acceptability (laughs) in some arenas in my life or i thought people might look at me different and i didn't want that so i i tucked it away for a while and of course since we've been doing this podcast uh you know billy and i have debated whether that's okay or not i I tend to kind of look at it now like when we remain anonymous we perpetuate stigma i get that everybody might not be ready to come out of that i wish there was a better term than coming out like what coming out of the basement i mean is that what we're doing yeah. we're coming out of the basement stepping out of the, the shadows yeah, coming ste- out of the recovery closet yeah. yeah i don't know but i i think some people aren't ready for that and i don't want to force anybody to be you know unanonymous with before their time but at the same time i really do think when we're anonymous we're kind of part of the problem and that's hard to like how do i tell somebody hey yeah i think it's fine that you're not ready to tell people where you're at or your life story or your history but at the same time i also kind of think you're part of the problem <laughs> like that's tough anyway the best thing to do i think would be to let jenny talk about that who recently decided that she was going to break her anonymity uh right after her eight-year anniversary i and and what led up to that and why and and all those great things. So do you just want to tell us a little bit about that? So Jenny was on our episode for Recovery Dharma, if you guys remember that. And she also co-hosted the episode we did on adult children of alcoholic when Billy was on vacation. And so it's always fun to have her. She's a friend of ours. So go ahead, Jenny. Let me shut up. Well, thanks for inviting me back. Um, so now I can like tell tell people I'm on this show like before I was always like <laughs> like I'm busy and I would you know I would tell people in the recovery community about you know the podcast but now I could be like out loud about it so definitely taking a selfie later to put on Facebook Sweet. um <laughs> but um so yeah what led up to it how where do I begin so I didn't tell anybody so my drinking towards the end uh was quiet I mean people who knew me you know, knew I couldn't handle my alcohol. But then in that last six months, I was one of those drinkers that was like home. So nobody knew that I like kind of snuck off, you mm-hmm. know, like, and um, when I emerged, my closest friends knew, actually, it took me 30 days to tell my closest friends. They, somebody, somebody messaged me like, hey, when are we going to the bar again? I was like, I got something to tell you. Um, wow. So it took me 30 days yeah. to even tell my closest friends. 
and family like, hey, I'm in rehab. Um, so after that, um, you know, so I uh, just kind of came out slowly as it was necessary. But I didn't like come to work and be like, I'm a new person. And I did. I worked back then. Now I'm a stay at home mom. And um, I just kind of got better and didn't tell anybody. So basically, I got when I got recovered, it was quiet. Like I know some people out there, it isn't so private, you know, like they're they're sent to jail or, you know, court ordered rehab or whatever. And it's it's public or they had a big violent, you know, ending or something that wasn't my story. So all I did was slowly come back to my life. And I was better. And I people did notice. It's funny. People are like, hey, you know, you look better. Or, hey, huh. it's nice to see you uh, doing this now. And you, you look like you're doing great. But I didn't say, like, it's good I quit drinking. You know, like. <laughs> and um, so eventually that job that I came back to, I, um, I ended up leaving that job and creating a stay-at-home mom life. I had another baby. So I had two kids. And I'm... I have a life. Is that how you create a stay-at-home mom life? You just have another kid? Is, yeah. that, is that how that works? That's how I do it. I don't it. want yeah. to work anymore. I think I'm just going to have another kid. Well, it's so funny. I got sober in part to save that job. And then as soon as I was sober, I was like, all right, bye. Like, <laughs> I was like, I found out this isn't really me. And I'm going to go do what you know my heart is leading me to. Um, so, I, so I started creating my new life uh, at home. Like I actually started to meet neighbors and people in my community and people at my kid's school. And nobody knew that I was sober. And um, it would come up every once in a while, like, oh, they're having a fundraiser with alcohol. I'm like, cool, have a good time. You know, like, not that I couldn't go, but I was like, eh, you know, I got other things to do. You want fundraiser? You know, I, I'll give you money for the fundraiser, but I'm not going to go drink it. You right. know, like, um, so I was making friends in the community and they were becoming close friends and they still didn't know. And it started being like a, a deep secret. And it started like, um, you know, they'd be like, you know, something like, oh, there's a whatever school function on a Thursday night. I was like, Ooh, can't make it. That's my meeting night. You know, like, but in my head, I'm like, Oh yeah, I got other plans. Or, um, I work with the down syndrome association and they were asking me to volunteer for something. And I was like, Ooh, actually my volunteer time's all filled up, you know, and I couldn't mm. say why, you know, and I, so, um, you know, me being sober started becoming a deep, dark secret. Like my drinking was a deep, dark secret. Ooh. So that's how it was feeling. And I was like, I have got it. I've got to just come out with it. But then I had so many new people in my life that didn't know. I was like, how do I do this? Go one by one. Like, I have to tell you something, you know, like it just seems so weird and awkward. And I wasn't sure how to do it. Um, so I was just kind of waiting. And um, so how it did happen was Voices of Hope was doing a uh, like a anti-stigma campaign for social media. And they were looking for people to tell their story. And I was, it was coming up around my eight year anniversary. I'm like, you know what? This would be a good way to just get it out. Social media can tell everybody all at once and it helps Voices of Hope and it'll be done. You know, um, it's funny. I asked my husband, I'm like, I think I might, I think I might do this thing. Or, would you be okay with that? And he's like, I, he's like, I can't believe you haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because like his, there would be like these instances, like my husband's best friend would come over with his new girlfriend and I'd be excited to meet her because I'm like, oh, look, a new girl in the crowd. Well, his best friend would come over and he'd be like, hey, Jenny, good to see you. How's AA going? I'm like, Gah! like, you know, like, the, and I was like, I'm just meeting this woman for the first time. And she's like, how's AA going? And I was like, ah, and it was that deep, dark secret feeling. I was like, I don't want to carry this anymore, you know? And then when, it, yeah, I started to acknowledge it was feeling like the, 
the deep, dark secret of drinking, the deep, dark secret of not drinking. And it was starting to like affect me. It was heavy. And now that it's out, I am like so much freer to just, uh, just talk about it. Like, um, Oh, you know, we were talking about that movie Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. So I was talking about that movie with someone else and I could tell her how excited I was about the um the addiction part of that story. I was like, "Yeah, it was there was addiction in it." And like before I couldn't um you know, talk about that with her cuz like, why would Jenny have interest in addiction? You know, like <laughs> but now that it's out, I was like, "And you know why I'd be interested in that?" You know. So, um I just feel a lot more myself. I can be uh honest and open and I don't have to uh have to dance around that issue of like oh i got a meeting thursday night and um you know worried about i was always worried about being judged and i think you know you had said as much in the intro too like i um especially when it came to my kids i just didn't want to be like oh that's that alcoholic mom like oh oh yeah she can't control her drinking that's you know like whatever whatever that means like addiction is so misunderstood and I just didn't want it to affect my kids like, oh, yeah, her kid's this. Well, you know, her, the mom's a drinker, so that's why the kid's like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want that. But then I just started coming to the realization, like, people are going to talk shit sometimes anyway. And just those aren't my people. Right. You know, and, and AA, they said, um, what other people think is none of your business. And when I came to accept that as truth, wow, what a relief. You know, what other people think is none of my business. And... And it's true. And there's going to be people who don't see addiction the way I do. Um, and and that's okay because, you know, there's a ton more people that see it the right way. The right you way. Know, like the, like you. The, you know, like the modern take <laughs> on addiction. And, and those are my people. A lot of my um, issue with drinking was like a fear of abandonment thing. So I always wanted to be liked. Mm. And so me staying anonymous, I didn't want to, um, you know, be rejected or... Um, you know, looked down upon, and especially like with my kids, like that maternal instinct of protecting my kids. I didn't want, you know, people to mistreat them because of stuff I did. And, but, you know, I'm less worried about that now. It feels, you know, so much freer. I can do things like podcasts and brag about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. One of the things that I was thinking while you were saying that story, and, and I don't know that I don't know that everybody's opinion gets changed hearing something, but like the people who pointed out early on, oh, wow, you look great, or oh, wow, you're doing this now, and I th- that seems really great for you, like without telling them about it, we're almost robbing them of the ability to see the benefits of stopping drinking or drugging or whatever yeah. people do, right? Like we, we're perpetuating the oh, it's okay to drink on the weekends or whatever. You're, you're still just as healthy. But like when you see people who aren't drinking and all mm-hmm. the stuff they do, it's like, no, no, maybe it is better not to drink. And, and we rob the people of seeing that because we don't tell them what caused that change, you know? Yeah, there was definitely like a, a good feeling knowing that some of those people from my old work or people I used to hang out with be like, oh, that's why, you know, like there was, you know, I was kind of proud of myself. I, you know, I don't want to get carried away because- that's part of it too. I don't want to be like overly um, feeling important about myself, you know? Hmm. I don't think I've ever thought that telling people about my ugly addiction history would make me feel important <laughs> about myself at all. <laughs> Not in the least. Well, I mean, just like, I just want to stay like humble, you know, like right. about the whole process. 
So did you find any of your friends or people treated you weird or different when you came out or were most of them like, uh, whatever? No, nothing negative. And I was so afraid something <laughs> negative. It's so silly now. You know, I like, <laughs> it goes to show you, like, I think everybody's, you know, thinking about me or talking right. about me. That's like we think we're the thing. center of everyone yeah, else's yeah. thoughts. <laughs> I got lots of congratulations and lots of like, you know, that's amazing. You're amazing. Good job. You know, like that was, that's all that came from it. Mm. Nothing negative like um all these weird i have an incredible imagination that i thought things would happen like people from my past would be like i don't i don't know you know nothing i'm gonna say on air anyway really (laughs) damn it i wanted i I was looking for the good i you know i don't i i just thought the weirdest things like because i mean i i made my amends i was clear you know and the only amends i didn't make are the ones that would hurt hurt people Mm -hmm. and um but I'm prepared to do that if that person came forward. But I'm not going to go, you know, out and be like, hey, you're living your life. By the way, I'm sober. You know, like, <laughs> you know, um, but I'm, I'm prepared to if I can. And um, I just thought, I don't know. I just thought some of the, some ugliness from my path would be unearthed. I think if it did, it, the only unearthing was like it just kind of was released. You know, like, like I'm not holding it anymore, you know. Right. Um, I know I'm doing that thing where I talk with my hands. Like I just feel like <laughs> that's all right. it's released. Yeah. That's <laughs> There's a video. Somebody will watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a good story. So uh, Jen, my wife, was did the Voices of Hope uh, stuff for a long time now. And she said a few years back you did a post where you did an anonymous title. I guess it's okay to say now. But yeah. where it was. <laughs> I should have brought a copy know, of that. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, I think she said it was a bunch of toys sitting around and you had a sign that said, I'm a mom in recovery, but it was blocking your face. And that how excited she was. You were their first one this go round to come out on your anniversary. You were their very first. I forget what she called it. It's a series that they're doing. And she was really excited. She's like, Jenny came out. She was our very first person. That's so great. So yeah, she was excited. Yeah. When I met her, so uh, Voices of Hope came to Cecilton, uh, close to where I live, and they did a town hall. And I went to that and I I was still anonymous, which was a big deal for me to go. But I, I wanted to do something for the addiction community close to where I lived. So when Voice of Hope came, I went to that. And I, I knew at the time, I'm like, this will help get me out of my anonymous shell. That was in 2018. And um, I just wanted to do more in the community, but only with people who were also in recovery, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like I would comment on recovery sort of stuff on social media because I figure the people reading it are my people. But right. I wasn't about to share it on my page because, you know, I didn't want, well, why, why are you interested in this? Why, you know, like, but um, anyway, so that's when I met Jen and I, and she asked me if I wanted to do um, like a similar post, like an end stigma post back then. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm anonymous. She's like, oh, that's too bad. But then she came up with that idea <laughs> for the sign over my face. And that was fun. That was a good, fun little creative project. And I was proud of myself and I shared it in private recovery groups i'm like look at i did you know i should go find that and be like i'm out now we can talk about it yeah (laughs) that's funny yeah so why now is there a reason Uh, like you said you mentioned during the talking about it you were saying that you know uh it was kind of nagging at you it started to feel like the same secret like you were keeping during using and i was hearing that but then i was like you were really patient that was eight years like did it feel mm-hmm. that way for eight years and you just sat on it or was that like a recent feeling or i guess i guess i want to do more in the recovery community and uh-huh. um being anonymous is a real hindrance to that slightly yeah <laughs> so uh that 
kind of expedited it. And, and that, that hidden secret was getting heavier, you know, right. it was get over the years. And, uh, you know, maybe I was patient, but also like I kind of explained in a weird long winded way was I have all these new friends who have no idea about that part of my life. And I, I was, it was cringy. Like I wanted to be honest with them, but I didn't know how to approach it, you know, one at a time, you know, do I, I have something to tell you all, you know, I didn't know how to do Get it. Get a billboard. Yeah. And then the VOH thing came. Yeah. yeah. I, told you, I was joking. I was, text. <laughs> I was waiting for the cover of the wig, but nobody called me. Right. Um, I, so, um, the, we, the voice of hope opportunity came up and I'm like, this is a, this is a good way to do it, you know, and I could do it. Um, it was a chance for me to tell my story instead of somebody finding out accidentally right. and me having to be like, well, wait, wait, you don't understand. You know, like it was a chance for me to be like, this is how it happened. This is where I'm at. Thanks so much. I think it's interesting. Something that kind of popped in my head while we were talking about this and you saying that that felt heavy and started to feel dark and, and a lot like the secret of drinking. I've never really thought about this, but we go to our 12 step fellowships or whatever fellowship we go to and they say, oh, you're as sick as your secrets. But nobody ever says that you're not allowed to like keep that part of you secret. Like we, you know, it's kind of, I guess, 50, 50 in a 12 step fellowship, people that tell everybody and people that don't tell anybody. Why would we not think that that also would keep us sick if we're worried about how we'll be judged? I get some people might have, there might be a, a very few select percentage of people that legit can't talk about it or their job might be at risk or something. Mm -hmm. That's possible. But I think for most people, it's just how people are going to look at you and what perception you're given to the world. And so why would we also not think that that, like, that prestige or that lowering of the way people look at us would also keep us sick when we're trying to avoid that? Like, I feel like that's kind of the point of recovery is to not worry so much about how people see us and to accept ourselves as we are. And yet we, I guess, almost condone and accept that people don't do that in this one area. What's up with that? I always took the, you're only as sick as your secrets to be the secrets that I keep to myself. Like I don't share all my secrets with everyone. Some things I only talk to my sponsor or I only talk to my wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess that if you're going to meetings, that means you're not really keeping it that secret Okay. in that context. So but. I could see that, but I still think the argument is valid that we're prioritizing how we look over truth or how we look over fear of not being enough if we tell people this about us. Like, there's still something to that, I think. Yeah, to some degree. I mean, I'm in a weird position where I don't, come out specifically about being in recovery at my job because it would impact other people that I work with. Like people know that we know each other and that we hang out outside of work stuff. Hmm. So if I said, yeah, I'm in recovery, then people would know. And this guy is like a supervisor and you know what I mean? He doesn't want to out his recovery. He's anonymous in that area. So if I kind of out myself, I inadvertently out them too. So I'm in a weird place, but I do openly tell people at work, like I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I used to, I used to get in a lot of trouble. My wife's involved with a nonprofit that helps people with addiction. Like they know all the, I don't know what you want to call it, like the pertinent information. I don't specifically say, yeah, and I go to a 12 step fellowship and all that. I just say, I don't drink or do drugs anymore because I had a pretty bad problem with it. And you know, that's a, that's I feel like that's enough. So where you were at, Billy, like that's where I want to be, just to be like, yeah, I used to have a big problem and now I don't. 
and occasionally I help people who are still in addiction. And for myself, like I said, my using was never a secret. I mean, I ended up in trouble and in rehab at 17. So my life as an adult until I got in recovery wasn't too secret that I had a drug. I mean, I didn't know it. I didn't want to acknowledge it, but everyone else around me knew that I had a drug problem and needed help. Um, So when I, you know, finally got into recovery, there was a sense of pride in that. Like, yes, I'm finally not screwing up anymore. Like, look at me now. (laughs) So maybe for the wrong reasons, I was easy to come out. You know, I didn't I didn't have any shame in being in recovery. There was actually some pride in it. Yeah. And so you mentioned that before we started talking, the kind of idea of how do you not when everybody knew we were using. And in my original neighborhood where I did get clean, yeah, that was the kind of same sentiment I had. It was early on. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm not robbing your 7-Eleven for Twinkies anymore. I'm in here like <laughs> contributing to society and buying my Arizona iced tea now. Um <laughs> So there was no problem with it there. People saw the change and they knew and there was pride in that. Like, yeah, man, something's working and I'm actually like becoming a a decent person today. But then I moved and then nobody knew the old side. And then I moved again and definitely nobody knew the old side. And now I've moved, you know, a few, quite a few times and I'm in places where nobody knows any of that part of me. And I'm in college and trying to gain a career and get a license and a degree and like, would I be better if I hid this? And so all that came into play. And and when you're not around the people or the environment or the neighborhood you used to use in and nobody knows and you want to be an upstanding member of society, let's not tell them, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's be hidden and not have to tell them the dirty stuff. I can just show them how great it is today and how wonderful I am. And, but I, I don't believe that now. Like now I've come to a point, I think, through doing this podcast where it's like, I think I can do way more good if people know the backstory. I just think I'm better off that way. And so I'm ready to tell any fucking body. Like, this is on my Facebook, as embarrassing as it might be to say, hey, I do a podcast and that's kind of weird and whatever. Like, here it is. Like, my family listens to it, parts of them. And I'm like, whatever. You're going to hear it all. <laughs> I think it was easy for me to be patient all those years because I didn't know where my life was going. Mm. And now I've kind of figured out that no matter where my life is going, being uh, open about my recovery is going to fit into it. I think earlier, like I wasn't sure like what kind of work I might do when my kids are older, you know, and I didn't know if I needed to keep it a secret. But now that I'm pretty sure whatever I go into, it's going to be acceptable. I'm like, all right, let's let it out. And even now, like we had talked about this when we did the uh, podcast, the episode about coming out, like even now there are still times in my life where I hesitate to fill out you're filling out those forms especially for like volunteer stuff or community stuff where they want to ask about your criminal history or have you ever been arrested for a crime and there's still a part of me and and at times I have just put no on those things whereas I think since doing this I would fill that out different now I would just put on there like yes I used to have a drug problem I'm in recovery and you know I don't know if that would still impact me negatively or not I think for myself, luckily, I've been involved enough in most of the organizations that I want to volunteer for that they know who I am and that they'll hopefully judge me by my character and not by what I did, you know, in my past. But there's still a fear there that, you know, that can be held against me or can hold me back from doing stuff I want to do. 
It's so hard too when you're trying to keep up that the honest principle, you know, like, ooh, you got to judge like, you know, like I could be honest here, but how's it going to impact? This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. I have avoided uh, attempting to coach any of my children's teams. I mean, my daughters are 15 now. They've been playing since seven, six, I don't know. I've avoided all those years coaching, not because I didn't think it would be fun or cool to interact with the kids or any of that, or or to volunteer my time, because I know not everybody wants to do that or has the time, but I've avoided it because all the times when you apply to coach, they want to do a background check. And I've been terrified that I would be turned down and how much my feelings would be hurt by that. How much my feelings would be hurt, how bad it might look to the other parents in the, you know, the organization if they tell the other parents on the team, hey, one of these parents was going to coach, but you know, that guy over there on the bench, he's not allowed to coach. He's got a record. And I finally, for the first time, just went ahead and said, fuck it. If y'all turn me down, you turn me down um, this past, whatever, January for indoor soccer. And I've been coaching indoor soccer for my 12-year-old son for the last eight weeks. And it's, it's fun. It's what I thought it would be, right? And, and like, look, this is a mini season. It's COVID. There's no practices. I don't have to know any <laughs> skills or like run them through drills, thank God. I just basically stay on the sideline and sub them in and out all game, which is easy for me. Um, but it's something I've always wanted to be brave enough to do. And I've just always been terrified of how it would look. And, and so the ability this time to say, you know what? I'm going to volunteer. They can do the background check if they really do that and if they want. And if they turn me down, fuck them. Like they're missing out because I am worth it. I'm I'm valuable today and I'm willing to show up and help. And if they don't want that, then this is a stupid fucking society. <laughs> Basically, like it's yeah. not a problem with me if they turn me down. It's a problem with the way the system's set up. And I don't know if they didn't run a background check because they also said I had to do some online training that they never told me to do. <laughs> so I don't know what they actually do if that's a scare tactic but i am coaching because i got i walk through my fear of how i would look over it yeah i think that was definitely part of mine too i had to make sure that i was like okay with my stuff you know like like i had to be settled with who i am how i got here you know i had to be okay with my shit yeah. and and i finally got to that point where like okay i'm i'm good so you know like i know what you know, what causes, uh, you know, big emotions in me and I'm ready for it. Let's, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I can sit here and say, oh my God, what took you so long to come out? You, you did it in half the time I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think it's incredible that any of us can do it. I, I don't know what the right answer is. Like, I think when Billy and I did the episode, I wanted to force everybody to be unanonymous right now. Like, no, you're <laughs> fucking us by being anonymous. Yeah. God damn it. But 
I guess you do it when you're comfortable and you're ready to take the backlash, if there is any. And yeah, it's so personal because I I could get resentful too. Like I'll oh, come on, like help help the cause or whatever. But it is so personal for everybody. We all have our different reasons. Like you said, um, sometimes your employer, you know, is you you wouldn't be employed if if that came out. And I I think it's getting better. So I remember when I uh, so my employer knew I was going to rehab because they were part of that process, and. He felt bad. He's like, oh, this is going to be on your record. Like, he actually was concerned about my future record. But is that still a thing? Like, Rehab? is that? I don't know. I mean, like. <laughs> was it ever a thing? I didn't know it was. He was concerned. And I don't know if that's because he was an older generation. He was concerned about it being on my record, how it would play out in my future. On an future. employment record? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How Maybe about, if you're in a big or, company with, like, an actual HR department. Uh, I mean, know, it was a might... middle, small to middle company. And then also for healthcare, I think. If it's on your record, um, your healthcare records, is it a, is it like a pre-existing condition? Maybe not called know. that, but treated so sort of like that? Mental health diagnosis mm-hmm. are funny like that. Like you, as a therapist, I want to be careful with what mental health diagnosis I give people. And, and it is getting better, right? Like if you get a depression or an anxiety diagnosis now, it doesn't mean what it used to mean to people. But apparently it is a thing and it can hold you up from some like government type jobs. Whereas if you have like a a personality disorder diagnosis from any point in time in your life, you could have got it at 19 from a sketchy therapist in a back alley somewhere. <laughs> That's with you forever. And people take that into consideration whether they're going to give you access to, you know, authorized nuclear stuff for stuff with other countries. Like, And I think that's bullshit because, I mean... Having it and having the diagnosis and actually doing something about it probably makes you a fuck ton safer than the person who's out there running around undiagnosed yeah. and just never skirting saw a therapist. by. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of okay. my same theory about like child predators and stuff. Like the ones on the list are probably not the ones where we should be worried about, but we feel all comfortable because we have a list now. It's a joke. Sorry. <laughs> Total other subject never, that I am passionate about. That. But I think that played into my decision to come out. I was like, is this going to affect anything, you know, that I want in this life, you know? And when I figured out, nope, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be getting into. But if if they can't accept that recovery is part of me, then it's probably not a role I want to fulfill. So as after you came out and with like friends, so it sounds like you have a community or friends that are normal what we call earth people like I, I guess i don't have many if any of those in my life all the people i know are in recovery so i don't typically go places or i'm not really around many people that are using family events are, maybe or what are friends yeah <laughs> um do you feel like there's does anyone ever treat you weird because you don't drink even if they don't know you're in recovery like is there still a stigma around people that don't drink like you're some kind of weird because you don't drink um not so, I, you know, I don't, so when I do go out with friends who drink, which is so funny to talk about going out with people, like <laughs> this is, this event right Pre-COVID. here is the most going yeah. outest thing <laughs> right. I've done in months. Um, but, uh, so I mentioned I'm involved with the Down Syndrome Association and we'll have dinners or mom's nights out and um, they'll be drinking. And I, I, I do kind of get the sideways look, like when I don't order a cocktail, you know, and they're like, oh, what do you have? I'm like, just sprite you know like (laughs) um and i'm i'm really i guess skilled at sidestepping it like just sprite like that's a pretty dress (laughs) (laughs) and um 
I do wonder what goes through their heads. I'm I'm so glad to be out because that's one of the organizations that I've always kind of hidden it from. Though I knew them before I quit drinking, so I think uh, maybe a few of them put it together. If they didn't <laughs> know, you know, if they didn't, you know, know like, wow, Jenny used to get really wasted at the <laughs> annual dinner, and now she doesn't drink at all. How about that? <laughs> But I mean, you know, like new people came to the organization that had no idea. And um, now now they know. Now they know why Jenny doesn't go to the drinking events so much. So, Have you found any drawbacks whatsoever? Have you found any drawback at all from coming out? None. None. I feel stupid for, th- I feel foolish for thinking something bad would have happened. So, I, I mean, no, I, I think it's rational to think. That's kind of typical Jenny stuff too, for me to like think something bad's going to happen. Right. I get that. I'm a pessimist for some, <laughs> a realist to others who are more pessimistic, I guess. Um, but what, I know you don't specifically want to talk about some of the stuff that you thought might happen, but is there any other things you thought might happen that, like, did you think you were, I don't want to say ostracized, but did you think there was going to be some kind of negative consequences beyond what people thought or what came up? I didn't know. I guess I feared like some kind of confrontation from somebody from my past i don't know why i don't know why that would have happened it doesn't make sense really but i was like um and i guess my biggest fear was around my children and how um the school or other parents in the community might judge me um and treat my children it's not even how they treat me it's how they would treat my children Mm. So that was probably the biggest motivator. I was like, I want, you know, I want to, I want them to know I sincerely am trying to be the best mom I can be. And um, if they think that I, you know, I don't know what people think of drinking, whatever negative qualities they put towards addiction or drinking, I didn't want them to think that was me anymore. Right. So let's just say that some of these things that you thought would have happened, some of the negative stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Would that change your opinion that it was still the right thing to do? I guess it depends on the severity, and I probably would still be glad I got it done so I could go forward. Right. Well, I think yeah. you actually having those fears and still moving forward anyway almost proves the point that you would think it would be worth it because you're like, well, you know what? That might happen, but I'm still going to do this. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of already accepting that those might be consequences and still deciding yeah. it's worth it. It's interesting. Like sometimes, I guess, I don't think all fears are irrational. I think, for me at least, I definitely fear that just the unknown and not knowing what will happen and, and fear change. And like what happens after I change something? How does that change how the world interacts with me? But I think sometimes we get caught up in like, I won't do this because of fear of something. And even though that thing might happen, that still doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Like, we, it's, it's still like I need to walk through a lot of my fears. I'm not supposed to just sit and hide from most of them, personally, at least. Yeah. And I've had a couple years of practice of getting through something I was afraid and still being okay. I think it took a couple years of those kinds of things to be like, you know what, even if something shitty does happen, I'm still going to be okay. Did, and you've been out like the whole time. I feel like you've just always told everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I never felt like it was anything to be ashamed or embarrassed about. Why um, is that? Do you think your wife helps with that? The fact that she's been so... Uh, Has she always been kind of open, or was there a time when she didn't? 
No, I mean, we never have been overly open. So for both of us, like her social group when I met her was all just based around people in recovery. And my social group is always, so we've just always been around people in recovery, you know, and like my job and my relationship, my marriage, my social events and things that I did, like everything just centered around recovery. It was just such a part of my life that there wasn't any real need to hide it. I mean, who was I hiding it from? Mm. Like say little league was probably the one place (laughs) that I felt the most amount I needed to hide it from. But other than that, you know, my family all knew my friends and people that I knew in recovery all knew most of the people that I knew from my past when I was using were glad to see me get clean and get my life together. So there was no real shame there. You know, my family knew too, because obviously like I didn't go to family functions for years when I was just high or locked up or whatever. So when I just came back and started showing up at Christmas events every year, like they had a clue that I had gotten clean and something was different. I'm sure my mother probably told him anyway, but it was still like moms are good like that. The elephant. (laughs) It was still the thing that we just never mentioned, (laughs) even though they knew it was still just never talked about. So I, I, in a way I feel like that was still hiding. And in my family, my wife and I were always the people that other family members came to when there was an issue with a child or a spouse or whatever, like th- we were always the people that were out in recovery that family members or people that we knew would ask questions of, you know, what can I do? How do I get them into treatment? What treatments out there? All that sort of stuff. Lock them in a the base. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, Billy was so self-esteem. You've To me, you seem like you've always had like really pretty good self-esteem, like is that i'm just judging you no so that didn't come for uh gosh a long time in recovery but probably 10 or 12 years in recovery is really when well you put on a good show yeah thanks (laughs) i've done a lot of work um and even now there's still things that i struggle with like i'm one of those people that i feel like to feel equal to other people i gotta be better at everything like i can't make any mistakes um so that I still, but I'm aware of it now. Like that stuff doesn't go away. You just become aware of it and it kind of becomes something that I acknowledge and just recognize about myself. Like I don't have to be perfect all the time. I don't have to get everything right all the time. But self-esteem for a lot of years, I didn't have very much. And it came as a result of step work and being involved in recovery. I didn't know if that was a factor in your being out all the time. Because I, I think it was a factor in mine, like, uh, you know, insecure self-esteem prevented me from being out with my recovery but you've always been out even with low self-esteem yeah uh, i know i'm trying to pick it apart too i'm like why <laughs> was he out this whole time god damn it i yeah. want to know <laughs> it there just wasn't get to the bottom of this it it wasn't inconvenient to be out <laughs> like i mean that's probably the easiest way to say it it just there wasn't really any areas that i felt like oh gosh i need to keep this a secret when you but you've always been in cecil county too what about yes. when you guys went out west Did you like kind of keep it to yourself there? I was just thinking of that as well. I mean, obviously, you don't just write in your resumes and stuff like, yes, I'm a drug addict and I'm in recovery and that sort of thing. So I don't know that I was overly out with people that employed us or gave us jobs, but like with different campgrounds we worked. So when we were in Massachusetts, a big part of 
people's camping experience was getting drunk. Like they, there was seasonal people and that's what they did. They had a camp spot there. They would come there every weekend and drink and party all weekend. And they considered that camping, which to me, that wasn't camping at all. That was just getting drunk in the woods, <laughs> but whatever, that's what they called camping. I knew and these folks with a lot of those uh, people that were like seasonal people at the campground that were there every week that I talked to all the time, they would offer drinks and food. And the first couple of times you'd be like, no, no, I don't. And then eventually it was just easier to say, look, I don't drink. I used to have a drinking problem and I don't drink anymore. And that stopped them asking me to drink all the time. Like it made that interaction with them easier. And then they would still offer me food and I would stop by and say hi and talk to them. And, and they were just as friendly, but they stopped asking me if I wanted drinks when I told them I don't drink because I have a drinking problem. Hold on. You don't immediately hug everyone you meet and tell them you used to shoot <laughs> speedballs in your neck? No. That's not. Oh. No, not in general. <laughs> we have a new neighbor who gave us uh my husband gets along with the man of the family really well. And so at Christmas time, they gave us a bottle of wine. And we were like, oh, hey, thanks. Like, and it was a perfect opportunity for me to say, hey, by the way. But it was such a nice gesture. I just, we just took it and smiled like, oh, thank you. Did yeah. your husband drink? He could if he wanted to, but he, he doesn't. He could if he wanted, yeah. if he wanted to. Yeah. I mean, He's technically, <laughs> I could if I wanted yeah. to as well. <laughs> he could, and he wouldn't like go out and drive and you know do uh, all yeah. kinds of crazy things. But he just doesn't. Cause that might not. be the main reason I don't drink. Because like I'm like, yeah, I could probably drink and just drink and not do all the other cruddy shit. But like, eh, I'd probably still try to drive because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's dangerous. That's dumb. Well, that's the other my social like I've always had recovery stuff on all my social media posts and things like it's just always been a part of what I so even if now if I tried to hide it if people wanted to look they could just go back and see stuff in my social media social media wasn't there when I got clean though I think that's why it became so easy to hide it when I started moving because I didn't have those posts of like messed up me or just clean celebrating me or any of that goofball shit I see newcomers posting. <laughs> Thank God there wasn't social media. It's so embarrassing to watch. Yeah, when when Bill Wilson wrote that step about um, we must remain anonymous at the level of press, radio, and film. They didn't have podcasts, right? And yeah, they had all the other no stuff. idea what Facebook was going to fucking do. <laughs> yeah. My God, they couldn't picture that. Ah. And there's some interesting breakdowns of that. Have you seen the Anonymous People movie? No, and okay. so I should have, but it's worth watching. It it gives a different perspective on that and what some of the I mean, at least what they say is some of the intentions behind what Bill Wilson wrote when he said that, and that he didn't necessarily mean that people shouldn't be advocating for recovery or recovery resources in a public setting. He just meant you got to watch being a representative of AA or NA or whatever specific fellowship. And that the idea of you being a person in recovery wasn't what you were to remain anonymous for. So I myself haven't dug into the history of that to know for sure, but that's the way they present it, at least in general in that movie, is that, look, no one ever wanted you to remain completely anonymous to recovery, that these were things that we need people advocating for you know, recovery resources in politics and in press and things like that. Like we need those people or else no one's going to fund recovery movement. Yeah. Um, that's part, I forgot that I guess if there was anything negative from me coming out about my recovery, 
in my little press release, I don't know what we'll call it, <laughs> um, I did specifically say AA, and I should have just said, just called it a 12-step uh, program. And I did get some, you know, feedback about that. It wasn't really negative. I was like, oh, I messed up. Next time I yeah, that's about tricky. my recovery. We yeah. run into that here, too. Yeah. I think we used to try harder to not say it. Now it's just kind of. When I think of celebrities who talk about the recovery, they usually just say 12-step program. Yeah. And then you'd have to, like, dig deeper to find out. if They probably AA have a press NA person that goes through all that shit with them mm-hmm. worried about lawsuits. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> well, and I think uh, kind of what you were talking about, I don't know exactly what Bill Wilson was thinking. Uh but the spirit of that tradition is definitely we don't want people representing or endorsing us because if they come out as being some awful person, we don't want that to taint our image as well. We don't want to be tied to them in any specific way or if they can't stay clean or whatever it is. But I, I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't think the point was that we can't tell people we used to drink. It's that we don't really want to out anybody at our meetings and we don't want to represent the fellowship because I'm going to fuck something up and I don't want that to be the moment that I'm representing the fellowship. So it's the same reason I don't want an NA bumper sticker. Like, Jesus, that's the last time you want me representing NA when I'm driving, right? Maybe not so much now, but definitely during my, my history. And I've been back and forth on that stuff. I've worn NA shirts and hats and things with logos on it. And at times I felt like that was okay. And other times I don't. Now I don't. Not unless I'm at a, a recovery function, you know, I'll do it at conventions or something like that. But so what kind of benefits are there? Like, oh, you know, you've mentioned a few already, obviously, the ability to advocate better and, and speak up and share the podcast and take a selfie with us. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, those are the big ones. You know, I just wanted like I wanted to do more in my community for, you know, in I want to do more in Cecil County for the recovery world. And now I feel like I can do it. And let me tell you the weight. Like, I think yeah. it's like the the personal selfish benefit that that weight is gone. I'm, I could just kind of be me. And um, and I feel OK with like if you are judging me because of my addiction past, you're you're not for me. And there is a lot of other people that are. So I'm not going to be alone or afraid. And um, and you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Those who matter don't yeah. judge. Those who judge don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good saying. I don't um, like it, but it's a good one. <laughs> so, yeah, th- those were the those are my my big benefits. Um I would picture that weight being huge. I just I mean, and knowing that partly for myself. It, it was getting bigger over the years. Yeah. And well, and so even with this podcast, like it's been sort of stages of me being more open about the fact that I do a podcast, which has come with stages of being more open of who I am and and my history and and where I come from. And like, I was getting this kind of all manifested at the same time when I was like finishing the college and getting the license and and really starting to like, is this going to affect my therapy career? Like, will people not see me because this is my story and they don't think I'm worthy of helping them or able to help them or whatever. Right. And the little stages I feel like felt more nerve wracking. Like as I was doing it, it was more like, Oh my God, now what effect is this going to have now that I've done this right now that I've posted the podcast to my personal page on Facebook, what are people like? And that would stay with me for a week or two. And now I feel like I've really come to that place you're talking about that. Just that acceptance place. Like, you know what? If you judge me for this, you're a dick. I'm all right. (laughs) Like, I feel like I'm a pretty 
healthy individual that just keeps wanting to grow and be a better human to other humans. Like, I, I don't really give a fuck what you think about it. I'm sorry. I want people to like me. But if you don't, for this reason, like, I'll give you some reasons not to like me. I got some good ones, right? My kids got some real valid ones for not liking me. But for this, that yeah, that's fucking stupid. Sorry. Yeah. So speaking of children, how old are your kids? Six and ten. Okay. So they're they're getting there. Have you thought about talking to, do they know about recovery or anything about that? Or no, is it, they don't. they're still and too young? Yeah, so they're, you know, they're in my close circle and they don't know, but they don't really know what drinking or drugs really is at all. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's funny because we see it in movies and stuff. And I, I've definitely hinted, not hinted, I'm sorry, been direct about that. Smoking is awful. You know, like I don't want them smoking. They don't know that I smoked. And one day they're going to find out. So here I am like telling them smoking's bad. You're not going to smoke. And uh, one day they're going to find out I was a cigarette smoker. <laughs> and um, but that's one of those fears that like it's going to suck going through it. But I know it's not going to destroy me. Like that's one of those like fears I was talking about. Jenny's, Jenny's serious about this. Like I told her I was vaping one time on through text and she was like, oh, my God, stop it right now. What the hell is wrong with you? Like I was like, oh, shit. Did I? Uh, well, maybe you can get on my wife. She started smoking again. So, she did. Yes, it's terrible. I'm. I know. I'm shocked. <laughs> Jen, but, uh, come on. <laughs> no, and so, like, same with my children. Like, I've probably disclosed more information than I probably should have. But they all know we're in recovery, and we go to meetings, and they've known that growing up, and that we had drug problems, and they should really got to be careful if they ever do decide to drink or do, because I figure they're going to grow up, and they're probably going to try those things at some point in their life, and nowadays, it probably might even be drugs, because shit's going to be legal, you know, and so I'd rather them just know maybe ahead of time what they're getting into versus, you know, thinking they don't, like, letting them know, like, hey, you're predisposed to this your mom and i both had problems with addiction and so just be really aware going in of the warning signs and what you got to look for yeah that's crossed my mind too so i like luckily these days in elementary school they're they do like a lot of like emotional resilience training and i am so grateful like (laughs) so my my close friends you know they might drink but basically the the typical non-addict friends i have don't drink they're just um you know, like my husband, they could, but they just choose not to. You hear so, that, people? There are people out there that just don't drink, even if they don't have <laughs> right. a problem. Yeah. yeah. They just people, don't do it. I think we don't know that people like that exist. Oh, right? I know. Yeah. My interview to go into rehab, they're like, "How? what percentage of the population do you think drinks? And I was like, oh, like 80%. And they're like, no, nah, it's like under 50%. I was like, these <laughs> yeah. are my eyes. Right. Ah. Um, so, um yeah, it's just those are the people I surrounded myself with, 80% right. drinkers. And, like, the 20% were the, people you know, I could the use Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff. You know, right. like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my kids don't see uh, uh, the drinking and drugs, but it's in my neighborhood, and it's uh, their classmates' parents, and they see that. And, you know, like, one of their classmates' parents is gone now because of drugs, and, like, one day they're going to hear about that. You know, they're going to they're gonna know. That like, you know, his dad's gone because of drugs. Yeah. And it's funny to think like with our kids, I think it started with us just telling them we were going to meetings, you know, I got to go out to the meeting. And when they were young enough, they didn't, they didn't care. You know what I mean? You could have said you were going to the moon. Like they didn't care. They would go about their day. And at some point, right. They were like, you know, they would ask like, what are these (laughs) meetings? What are these meetings that you go to? And, and, 
you know, figured that was the time to explain to them what we were doing. But yeah, we, we would, they've always known, like we went to meetings or that we went to NA, even though they didn't know what that was. Like, and when they were old enough, they asked questions. So thus far, I call them my meditation group or going to have coffee with my friends. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I hear them telling their other friends, like, mom has meditation tonight, you know, or, or you know, mom's just, she's going to have coffee with her friends. And I have been embarrassed. <laughs> my son has told people funny stories that I've told about my using and crazy shit that I've used to do. So oh. he's told people my using stories, <laughs> which has been a little embarrassing. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, with you talking about your daughters, like, what happens when they do, when you do get more clear or or somebody who's more clear with their younger kids now and then their kid tells their friend oh yeah my mom goes to an a meeting on thursday so you can't come over tonight and then that friend tells their parent does that judgment come across like is that parent like oh my kid's not going over there they go to na meetings weirdos i hope yeah. not but it's possible but i'm sorry i got to go back when you said this kid in your kid's class's father a little confusing there he's gone like dead Oh, yeah. A father in my neighborhood overdosed right at the beginning of COVID. And um, so when we're all back in school together, I mean, we used to see this dad, Mm. you know, like at the bus stop and he's gone. So are we doing a disservice that this will probably never get brought up with the children in the classroom setting? I don't know. It's like that sex ed conversation. Like what what age is appropriate now? Yeah. I mean, I haven't talked about it with my kids, but I, I want to prepare them because I don't want somebody to side, you know, like come at my kids like your mom runs that meditation meeting for drug addicts, you know, like and her be like, what? So I need to be a little more preemptive, you know, right. so that they're not hearing it. You know, it's going to happen, but I don't think they're talking about that in first grade. And yeah, and it doesn't bother me if they do or don't, but I don't personally think that's the school's role or responsibility you don't no i I mean that's just my opinion i think it's mine as a parent yeah do other drug prevention programs if there was some other tragedy that happened amongst the population of school children they would have (gasps) therapists in and they would Mm -hmm. fucking talk about it in class and they would process it together why not this tragedy yeah well i mean if you're talking about the death of a parent so if a parent died of cancer would we expect the same thing? Sure. Let's talk about all these things. But I don't think, uh, I guess the point here would be to like, let's talk about the dangers of drugs and what can happen. Like, what are you going to talk about the dangers of cancer? Like, like Yeah, but then hey, are we going to have school classes on safe using and how it's there are safe ways to shoot heroin? Because there are. Not really. You know, like, I mean, if you get or into the safest way. Yeah. Well, safer ways to use drugs and heroin. Let's put it that way. I guess I don't <laughs> see the, the point of the preemptive cancer con- conversation unless you're going to warn them against the ales of, like, what, uh, uh, sweet and low? Equal? Like, <laughs> with, I don't right. get what you're... Right, so that's where it goes. I don't think that's the school's responsibility to try to explain or moralize drug using to the students. I think it's up to individual. Like, I'm a legalize everything person, and people should be able to use if they want to use. I don't think it's the school's responsibility to tell people they shouldn't. I don't think it's the school's responsibility to teach my kids geometry or absolutely fucking wrong history but they take it upon themselves to do that my kids don't need geometry they need lessons in emotion they don't have to go to that school my kids go to a different school <laughs> that doesn't teach any of that that's so. not offered through my tax money <laughs> so right 
I'm just but, saying, I, I my kids go to a school where they learn a whole bunch of shit that I think is useless instead of learning stuff that I think the school should be involved in, like emotional regulation and how to process feelings and how to deal with life on life's terms. We don't ever learn any of that shit or even basic shit. How to do your taxes, oh, yeah, how to hold a budget. Yeah. Like, so, and those are the exact, re- I mean, no, not to get too off on that, but that's why uh-huh. we don't send our kids to public school because we don't agree. I, do, I agree. Everything you just said, I'm in agreement with that. I don't think school teaches the right things. I don't think they focus on the right things. I think it's like a Prussian education system based on raising good workers. It's not raised on raising good people. I agree with all that. I'm just saying I don't want to put more responsibilities on them to start teaching morals and values to my kids about life choices. Like I want to have that responsibility as a parent. Uh, I mean, I, I want that responsibility as a parent, but I want them getting that from as many places as possible. Like, I, I wish they got it through their music, through their school, through TikTok. I wish everywhere was talking about that shit because then maybe there would be enough of it going in that they'd pick up some. Oh, but yeah. going back, if there was a father who came in and like volunteered once a week in the school system, in the classroom, and he died of cancer or he died in a car accident or he died in his sleep from a brain aneurysm, yes, we should fucking bring it up and talk about it. We should process this together as a class and talk about how it affects us. It's not just the drug addiction death. I think we should talk about any death of anybody who you used to see here and now he's not. Yeah. Why why are we not talking about this? Because it's uncomfortable? Because death is weird and and yucky even though everybody does it? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I I bet you it won't get brought up. Oh, no. No, and so much much time has passed. Everybody will be glad to not have to talk about it. But yeah, like in our small community, uh, unfortunately, there was a father who passed away with cancer, and the community kind of rallied around that family. This father passed away of addiction. Nobody wants to talk about it. And And that's the shame. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is a shame. Like I never thought about it until you brought it up. You would hope the community would be more supportive. I mean... I don't know. That gets back to the whole shaming of using and that where all this stigma uh-huh. comes from in the first place. It's like we look at people that struggle with addiction or substance use disorder and, and categorize them as less than people. And that's why us coming out is so important. So we can come out and say, hey, look, no, you know, yes, we had this problem, but now we're people that are actually contributing and doing what I think a lot of us are doing more than our part to try to build up society and make it a better place. Yeah, that's like the nurse that gets hired and says, I can't tell anybody I used to get high because then they won't let me work around the cabinet full of locked up drugs. <laughs> right. But every person that keeps quiet about that who is a good nurse now perpetuates the idea that nobody can ever say it because we don't, people like that wouldn't succeed. Whereas if people come forward and say, yeah, I used to have this problem, but you can put me around that locked up cabinet. I'm not going to do that today. The more we do that, the more examples we have that somebody can do that and we don't have to hide it anymore. It's like, it's almost like that contradiction of like, yeah, the more we we succeed in our own life by keeping it hidden, the more we actually keep everybody else down that's gone through it, right. which sucks. So it's like I'm trading personal success over the good of the whole when I'm quiet. Yeah. And I think we could do a better job at not shaming people that relapse. I mean, that's a big part of it, too. It's like if... If someone is in recovery, I mean, heaven forbid, you know, I've been in recovery a long time, but if I relapsed and and died, I would hope that that wouldn't 
diminish all the good that I've tried to do in my mm-hmm. recovery, you know, that we shouldn't shame people because they have a slip or a mistake or, or maybe they just decide they can go back and use recreationally. I don't know. I hear that's a thing. I don't know if I can do that, but, yeah. <laughs> but I hear that's a thing. If people I ever do. find out, I can. <laughs> my Friday nights are going to take a new turn. As soon turn, as I figure sure. that out. <laughs> I, I think that whole shaming thing comes from hurt. Yeah. Just not knowing how to deal with the hurt of somebody dying. Mm-hmm. Or not being your around to be your you know go to meeting buddy anymore on Wednesdays because he's out using again and we don't know how to use deal with that hurt so we fucking shame him. Oh, well they should have worked the steps harder. They didn't want it enough. We blame them. Yeah, it's all their fault. I'm, that- I'm hardest on the people who are like me. So if I see another woman or another mom, and if they're not doing something up to par, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like they're wrong. Yeah. But even with the the children like you mentioned the the kid in your neighborhood and their parent dying i think people don't know what to say they act like because they died of addiction it's somehow different than dying of something else like all the same things still apply that kid has still lost a parent they're still struggling with the you know pain of losing a loved one and losing that support and you can treat them just the same because they died of addiction you don't have to treat them any different I feel like people look at it as more of a tragedy as if it was somehow preventable and we didn't. Right. And that's what kind of annoys the piss out of me because I don't really know that it was preventable. If it was, we would have prevented it. Right. right? If that was possible. And I don't think that was his goal. (laughs) You know, like I doubt that's what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I I know like um, on the personal level, people are like still um, supporting the kid as best you can you know through remote learning but it's not the big out loud thing it's it's kind of quietly you know they're you know they're not having fundraisers for the family you know right yeah um, things like that so is there anything you would recommend to people who listen to this and say you know what maybe they got a point maybe it's my time maybe i'm ready to to be to come out of the basement right <laughs> Ready to come out of the, the church basements and be open about my recovery. I like that. What kind of things do you recommend? Is there any, like, is there a best way to do it? Is there, uh, like you said, I mean, you were talking about which way to do it, whether you go to each person individually, a mass text message, like, do you put it on your TikTok stream? Do you go through a local community organization and get it announced for you? <laughs> like, do you call up the local newspaper? And along with the best way, which I'm sure there's no best way, but we can talk about some of the which ways to do it and how they would be good. Also, what things do we might want to consider? Like, okay, I hear this podcast. I'm ready. I'm ready to be out. God damn it. Let's do it right now. Right. Before you walk out the front door and start yelling it down your block, what all kind of repercussions could there be? Because we do want to consider these and be prepared for them. I'm not saying they should stop us, but we definitely want to be ready to face whatever backlash might truly be out there. Like, it's great that you didn't have any, but there might be some for some people, and it's good to be prepared for that. Uh, Well, um, I think it's very personal for each person, so take your time, you know, make because you can't undo it. Once it's done, you can't undo it. Uh, If Even if if that means one-on-one or, like, your whole Facebook page, like I did, um, I think you should be well into, if not complete, your amends process. Um, I think having yourself, um, you know, on the level with everyone, you know, and just the immense process also kind of like makes you okay with your shit. You know, like once, once you've done that, you know what your triggers are and how to make yourself feel better. So that way, if you are triggered as a result of coming out, you know how to 
come back. Um, I think you should approach it um, honest and humbly. And, um, you know, what's your intention? Review your intention ahead of time. Um, you know, if you're doing it just to get attention, that's probably not a, not a good <laughs> idea. But if you're doing it, like in my case, because I'm an upstanding citizen, um, you know, because I want to help people, that's a pretty good intention, you know. So why are you doing this? Make sure you're, you're doing it for the right reasons and you're going to be honest and humble about it. Um, don't blame. Um, kind of like in the amends process, you don't, you don't want to like, well, you know, I was an alcoholic and now I'm clean. You know, it's because I was traumatized as a kid. And it's like, you know, this is not really the time to talk about it. <laughs> you know, like we were all traumatized, you know. <laughs> and um, I think that goes back to intention too. Like, are you trying to uh, project blame or are you just trying to, you just want to be out with it? Um, I mentioned the, don't mention the specific program. Oops, I blew that, <laughs> blew that one. And, uh, oh, and check with your, uh, immediate family, people who it might affect. Like I checked with my husband who was like, I can't believe you haven't done it yet. Um, if I had older children, I probably would have cleared it with them. But I'm kind of surprised you didn't clear it with your kids, honestly, now that <laughs> I didn't realize they didn't know. That's interesting to me. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't have a lot of drugs and alcohol in our life. And so it doesn't really come up much, but it's true. I, I mean, and this is, I, I do have to start talking to them about it. I'm kind of dreading it. My my fourth grader did have like the puberty talk in school. I'm like, oh boy, you know. I thought, you know, like so last year they started talking about slavery. This year it's puberty. I better start talking about like drug and alcohol. Anyway, so those are my tips. Awesome, yeah. I think awesome. they're super helpful. Especially, yeah, I just think take your time. I think you're right. I like the idea that you can't go back from it, right? So make sure you're ready before you do it. Yeah, it's not something you want to just do impulsively. If you've been quiet about your recovery for, you know, an amount of time, uh, impulsive probably isn't a good idea. And the thought about asking the people around us how it would affect them, I think that's crucial too. I forget. Yeah, that's really important. And, and you know, depending on the age of your kids, like I, I tend to forget even for my older kids that like what I do affects them and could have an impact on them. And, and I should probably think of that more honestly like with anything you know i'm i live in a way where i'm like that's their fucking problem (laughs) yeah i i I am too (laughs) be a little more considerate of that i think that matters well i had to pick a picture and i asked james i'm like do you want to do you want me to give them this family picture he's like no no just you you know (laughs) he's like this is your thing that's how he put it yeah and you know what i so i did the same thing with voices i did it's a nice family picture i'm glad you picked it i don't (laughs) usually do shit like that and i took jenny as inspiration and i was like you know what i'm gonna go ahead and tell my little version of story very good i'm glad you did i put up a family picture and didn't ask a fucking soul in my house if they were okay with it (laughs) i just said i'm just putting a family Mm. picture up i will wow I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way, well, but this no. is how I did it. It, yeah. it would have been much more thoughtful of me to consider how they felt about it. I kind of, when I picked it, I think I was just of the standpoint that y'all stand behind me and I count on them. So You weren't like, hey, I look good in this picture. This is the one. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, I would have searched for a better picture. <laughs> you know, you talk about the how to say it and, and not rationalizing it or justifying it with you know, the whys, because I agree, like, keep it short and simple. It doesn't need to explain why. Like, not that those things aren't valid, but like you said, there's a time and place for that. And that's, I want to own this. Like, I don't want to blame it away. Like, yeah, I did this, but it's because, uh, like, I just want to own it. Like, yeah, this is part of my life, right? But I also, (laughs) 
and you said don't do it for attention there's that meme that goes around and it made me think of that and it says like people who post their clean time on social media and it's like this award this little trophy or whatever but it's a guy basically giving himself a head (laughs) 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 which is hilarious to me and it just made me think of that like don't yeah don't post how wonderful you are clean because of that reason because that's how you look to people why not i'm proud of that <laughs> i'll get you a, well, trophy. It's a fun number <laughs> if it's like 666 days clean like yeah we want to i would have never <laughs> done i would have never done it until i hit 20 now that right. i hit 20 yeah. i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> like, now i'm a dinosaur right. <laughs> now it matters awesome <laughs> any other thoughts no nah, i'm good cool perfect amount of time to edit jenny we thank you so thank much you for guys. coming thank on thank you jenny this was yeah, great thank you. perfect this was fun. I hope I hope we have good stuff for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Uh, so everybody out there, have a great week. Uh, come out of the basement when you're ready and, and prepared for that. And we'll see you next week. Share this podcast with people in your life who might enjoy it. Check out recoverysortof.com to find our episodes and link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're always looking for new and interesting ideas for topics, sort of. If you have any ideas for episodes or think you have something to come on and talk about, reach out to us. 